I hope you are all doing well. My apologies for breaking up the fellowship, uh, but the clock says seven, so we will uh, get started momentarily. I've already been given a few announcements that I need to run over uh, real quick with all of you, and then we will ask for prayer requests after we go uh, through these. Uh, the first one is, remember, this Sunday is Fall Back Sunday. Uh, not fall backwards into sin, but fall backwards into time. Uh, so we will all be waking up with the sun up and going to bed or go eating supper with it down uh, from this point forward. Uh, but anyways, remember to set the clocks back an hour. Now, if you get here an hour early, you know, there's better, there's worse places to be an hour early. So that's this Sunday. Uh, in lieu of uh, prayer request type items, Bobby Jennings' funeral is at 2 o'clock tomorrow at McMillan. Uh, Ricky Davis, which is Francil's husband, had heart surgery this week and is recovering well, from what we understand. Uh, Ola Wade, uh, which is Tom's grandmother? Grandmother, that's what I thought. Tom's grandmother um, needs prayers for comfort, uh, so keep her in your prayers. Uh, what other prayer requests do we have tonight? I heard Thompson. Juan L. Thompson, okay. Cardio version soon, okay. What else? Sandy, yeah, you're going to New York soon, that's right. Sandy Bonham. Well, I'm going to say for the first week in November, that's excellent. It was a very short prayer request list right there. Always good whenever everybody's well and, not, and doing well. Uh, so we'll go to God in, our, God, to God in prayer uh, before class, and then we'll kind of run over what class will look, well, will look like for this next quarter. Uh, please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. We thank you for the ability to come out this midweek and to study your word. We pray that you will bless the study uh, that we're gonna be going over for the next several weeks. We pray that we will approach it with open minds, Heavenly Father, and that we will learn to season our speech with, with salt as we go through this study. Lord, we pray that you will be with all those names that were mentioned here tonight, Heavenly Father. We know that we have families that have lost loved ones. We know we have members or family members and members, Heavenly Father, that are facing various health ailments. Uh, we pray that those uh, studies, those procedures, et cetera, will go well. We know we have members that need uh, comfort. We pray that you'll uh, honor those, Heavenly Father, provide your ministering spirit so they can have comfort and peace, Heavenly Father, in the various ways that they need them. We pray that you'll be with every member here. Watch over them, protect them, and bless them, Lord. And Lord, it's in your great Son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, this is the type of class that makes me the most nervous to teach. And to be candid, I have seriously second-guessed why I signed up to teach it um, as I have progressed. One is it causes me to get way out of my normal comfort zone. I am not a subject speaker. You may have picked up on that. I tend to like to do... Uh, what I would call studies through scripture, 
go through a set of scriptures, study it, go on, as opposed to this, which is a little bit more broad. So as a teacher, this is going to stretch me a little bit and my abilities. Number two, I am not uh, ignorant in terms of what the world now does to us and how the world has polarized us in so many ways. And so the topics that we teach, uh, some would say are controversial, some would say are old-fashioned, some would say that I'm wrong or you're wrong or whatever. So we're going to go over some things about what I expect to happen with the class. Uh, but first, we're going to define some terms, because if we start on the front end with defining terms, I think we'll all be a little bit better equipped for this class. So that's the disclaimer on the front end. Okay. Uh, so as we go through this, as you know, this was announced as modern moral issues. Okay. Let's walk through those three words. Modern. When I think of the word modern attached to any other topic, I think of recent, relevant, and how it affects you right now. We're not talking about the modern revolution of engineering that happened in the late 1800s and is now continuing to affect us in manufacturing. That's not modern. That's postmodern. Okay, we, we know how to make cars. So when I think of the word modern, I think of what is going on in the world, in this country, in the state, in the county, in the city that you live in right now, that either you describe as a moral issue or someone else describes as a moral issue. Now let's define the word moral. Now I looked this up, so I'm going to read this verbatim. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on these definitions as we go through. But I want us to all be on the same page on what I'm defining as moral. What I'm defining as moral. Now that's important. Because how I define the moral and how the class defines moral will then define how we have our conversations as this class progresses. Webster defines it as concerning or relating to what is right or wrong in human behavior. Right or wrong in human behavior. Is the word Bible in that sentence? No, it's not. Two, based on what you think is right and good. Is the word Bible in that sentence? No. In fact, that sentence should terrorize anybody because that allows an individual person to define what is moral. Did you catch how that was defined? What you believe is right or wrong. In other words, you were allowed to determine your own truth. That alone is a moral issue because that's not how I view the world. I don't think we have that kind of right. But we need to understand and not be naive that we are to equip ourselves for battle for people that do believe that. So we need to be prepared for that. The third thing is considered right and good by most people agreeing with a standard of right behavior. Okay, so we've broadened it a little bit. We're now saying morals are right and good according to most people. The problem is the world we live in today, we don't know who the most is anymore. All we know is the ones that scream the loudest seem like they're the most. We don't know. 
But again, is the word Bible, religion, God, Jesus, anywhere in that definition? Do any of you understand why I'm a little concerned about teaching this class now? Because if I teach this class effectively and my counterparts teach this class effectively, we could hit some topics that frankly could hurt some feelings. And that is not our intent in any shape, form, or fashion. But let's keep going because it's important to keep continuing these terms. The way I will also define this is when push comes to shove, any standard that we make in this class can never contradict a direct command from the Bible. So now, Jonathan Farr has inserted the word Bible into our discussion. In other words, whenever something comes up, we will review Scripture. And when Scripture has a specific command about it, there will be no further discussion. For example, is murder wrong? Yes. Unequivocally, no one debates that fact. So, whenever there's a direct command, we will do that. But what about biblical principles? Or opinions would be a better word on biblical principles. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we're going to go over that in the ground rules of the class, which we're not ready to go over just yet. Because the biblical principle argument to me is one that is oftentimes very weak. Because what it really is, is what I want it to say, therefore I'm making it say it. I will call you on that if that's what your argument is based on. And I will do it with all the love and respect in my heart. I promise I will. Okay, and I will season my speech with thought. But if I disagree with you, I'm going to tell you that. But here's the deal. This is the benefit of this. You can tell me I'm wrong too. It does not hurt my feelings. Okay? The last word, which one would be easy to overlook in modern moral issues, is actually the last word. What is an issue? <laughs> this is where I really enjoyed the definition that I looked up. If you look at the word issues, this is what it says. It says something people are talking about, thinking about, etc. An important subject. Hmm. A topic that someone is thinking about or talking about. An important subject. That's an issue. Usually issues that people talk about or issues that they, for some reason, have made a decision on, and they are on one side or another side of an argument. For example, if I were to tell my wife, honey, we have an issue, am I telling her this is a good thing we're about to talk about, or possibly an uncomfortable thing we're about to talk about? It's probably going to be uncomfortable. She's probably going to win. Okay? That's the way this is going to work. So that's how we describe an issue. So when a class is on these particular topics, and the topics will be named as we go forward, because I'm actually going to need class participation to define what we're actually going to talk about, because by definition, I have to talk about what you're talking about right now, because that's what an issue is. If you're not talking about it, for example, if you're not talking about whether or not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is literal or metaphysical or whatever other words you want to throw out there, that's not actually an issue. It's not a common topic that comes up. So it's not going to be covered in this class. 
But if you and your society are actively talking about something, we need to talk about it, especially if you feel the need to then attach a religious or biblical principle to it. Does that make sense? In other words, if I go, oh, well, you must do this because the Bible says, and then you insert scripture. Okay, now we have a modern moral issue. You are talking about it. You have said there is a right and wrong, and there apparently is someone that disagrees with you. That means we have all three, a modern moral issue. And that's why I'm terrified. So we're going to make ground rules. And we're going to make ground rules that I hope are very under, are understood on the front end, and these will be what we review. I know I love to review. We'll review ground rules each week. So we remember where we started um, and go from there. And this is what I want you to know on the front end. I love you. Okay? That's ground rule number one. Maybe you like me, but I want you to know I love you. Why? Because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Two, I love your thoughts and your opinions. You know why I love your thoughts and your opinions? Because there's not a human being on earth that has experienced life in the exact same way. For example, things have happened to me that have happened to no one else in this room, which means you have a different perspective than I do. And things have happened to you that have never happened to me, which means you have a different perspective than me. And what that really means is if we actually appreciate that and look into that, we can make very, very wise and balanced decisions on modern moral issues that are scriptural, biblically based, and seasoned with salt. So I value your thoughts or your opinions. Two, I respect your knowledge, your discernment, and your decision-making. I'm going to say that again. I respect your thoughts, your decision-making, your knowledge, your discernment, etc. I hope you respect mine, and it's okay to challenge mine. But what I mean by these three things is I'm going to un operate under the assumption that before you make a statement, you have thought, considered, weighed, and made an informed decision on. I don't think we have anyone here that just spews out rhetoric in any shape, form, or fashion. So I want you to know I respect where you're coming from. And if you ever think that I don't respect you, I want you to come up here and call me to the mat on it. Because I deserve to be called out. Why? Because the Bible says our speech is to be seasoned with salt. And if I don't season my speech with salt, I have failed you as a teacher. Okay, so that's the ground rule so far. Number three, whether I or anyone else in this class agrees with you or doesn't agree with you, number one and two are always in effect. In other words, Jeremy, my first cousin, and I may not agree 100% on the topic, but I still love him, I still respect him, I still respect how he got to the decision he made. Does that make sense? I keep throwing out the word love, and we're going to go to some verses in a minute where you see why that's so important in a class like this. But I want to be very clear on something, because I think we have lost this as a society. You, every person in this room, you are more valuable to me than my own opinion. I'm going to say that again. You are more valuable to me than my own opinion. What do I mean by that? 
I mean in the situation where there is ever a situation in life where we disagree with each other. If it means I keep my mouth shut to keep you as a brother or sister in Christ, I keep my mouth shut. Even if I know I'm right. Why? Because you're more important to me than my own opinion. In our society, we have changed to where we think our opinions are so important they should be posted on social media, then debated in some public form where there's no social or interaction or nonverbal cues. But I want to be very clear. You are more important to me than my own opinion. Because I can't tell you the number of things I've changed my mind on. So if I ever change my mind, that means my mind is not infallible. And if my mind is not infallible, then I can't be the judge of anything. Now you may be thinking, this is a lot of ground rules. Well, it is. But I think they're needed. Because I want us to grow and stretch in this class. Because I think if we do what I'm wanting to do, and what my vision for this class is, I think you're going to do some things in this class you have never done before in a church setting. And I'm going to tell you what my goal is. My goal is to equip you for battle. I'm going to say that again. It's to equip you for battle. That's a big goal. But to do that, I need you to accept something. It is possible for two opposite statements to be true and both statements to be false. One more time. It is possible for two opposite statements to be true and false at the same time. And all of your brains are going, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. Two plus three is always five. Two plus three is always five. This is not math class. Let me give you an example. Money is important. True or false? True. You gonna care about it when you're dying? Is it important to you then? It's false. Money, can, can you buy your way into heaven? It's not important for salvation. But do you need it to survive in life? Sure you do. You've got to buy your groceries. You've got to do those things. Okay, so money is not important. True or false? Both. For some reason, what the devil has done in the last 20 years has convinced you that that is an impossible statement that I just made. That if I stand on this side of the argument, it is 100% impossible for that side of the argument to be true. There's an old saying that says there's three sides to every story, right? What each side saw and then the actual truth. I think this is also true for oftentimes for these modern moral issues. So accept that because it'll help you as we go through this class. Now, let's go to the Bible for a little bit. 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8. We're going to read the whole chapter. And we're going to make out some points. And it has to do with the last point I just made. Two opposing statements can both be true and can both be false at the same time. Oh, and by the way, let's be clear. This is a Wednesday night um, mature adult class. This is not going to be milk. This is going to be meat and potatoes. This is going to be deep. Okay, because I'm assuming one, if you're here on a Wednesday night, you're pretty dedicated 
Two, if you're as mature as most of us are in this audience, you studied these things before. Is that a fair statement? Everybody agree with that? So we're going to go meaty. We may need to go back to milk occasionally, but we're going to go meaty in this. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Says that eating meat offered to idols is nothing. And it also says you shouldn't do it. Which one's true? Depends on the situation, right? Let's read it. See what Paul says here. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us who possess knowledge, this knowledge puffs up? Huh. I were at once sat as a kindergartner at a PTA meeting in Iuka Elementary and watched my mom stand up and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with her boss and superintendent when he boldly proclaimed that your child's education is the single most important thing in this world. And Cindy Farr stood up and said, no, it's not. She worked for that district at that time. Old Dr. Stone squirreled and he looked at her. He said, well, what pray tell is? You don't ask Cindy Farr that question. She's got just enough Jones blood in her. She will tell you exactly what she thinks. And she did. She talked about Bible. She talked about their ability to perform as a human being. She talked about their interactions with other children. And I was five years old going, Mom, sit down. Knowledge puffs up. And we've become obsessed with it. We have told our children, unless you go to college, unless you get an advanced degree, you have no hope of making it in this life. Meanwhile, plumbers make $100 an hour. Just saying. Knowledge puffs up. What's the next word? But love builds up. What's ground rule one of this? I love you. I love your thoughts. I love your opinions. I love your perspectives. Love builds up. Whenever we get into conversations in this class, we have to defer back to this. If I think I know something, I'm puffed up. But if I humble myself to go, maybe I don't know everything about every situation. And I work for love, that builds up. I have watched individuals charged with the care of young children sit there and destroy children. I watched a coach from an opposing count from an opposing city, literally ten feet underneath my nose, dressed down thirteen and fourteen year old girls and told them they were pathetic. That was the word he used. Question: Does that help them play basketball any better? No. And his team was awful. Surprise, surprise, because love builds up. Love builds up. It's easy to tear something down. I can rip this building apart in a matter of minutes if I want to. I'm pretty good with a sledgehammer. I've used one before. But it took a while to build it. So let's keep going. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Probably a thousand years ago, we knew the earth was flat. 
Was that right? George Washington, just in 1700s, less than 300 years ago, was bled out for a very minor infection, and your first president, and probably the best leader this country has ever known, died because they bled him out, while the Bible said the life is in the blood. We knew that was the right thing to do. Were we right? No. In the 1800s, OBGYNs were astonished and offended when they were told they were killing their, their own patients. Because they would deliver this baby and without washing their hands, go and deliver this baby and then go and deliver this baby. And women were getting staph and strep infections so bad they would die within days of birth and it was the people that delivered the baby's fault. And they were offended because they knew they were right. What does the Bible say about that? If you think you know everything, you do not know as you ought. You should always be humble as you approach topics that we're going to discuss in this class because I have learned oftentimes perspective is a big changer in how things are viewed. But if anyone loves God, verse 3, he is known by God. Verse 4, Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol is no real existence. In other words, it's not even real. I mean, this was made by hands, so it was an idol. And that there is no God but one, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through him we exist. Verse 7 However, not all possess this knowledge. Let's put a fork in there and make sure you understand what he just said. He said, we know with 100% certainty that an idol is nothing. We know people say there are gods in heaven, gods on earth, etc. We know there's only one. We know there's only one Savior and His name's Jesus Christ. We know all that. But guess what? Does everyone on earth know that? No. So just because you have that knowledge doesn't mean you can go around parading it as though it is just the best thing ever. Verse 7 continued, But some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So let's look at the setting. There are people that are now in the church in the pews. And at one time, they believed in those idols. And they worshipped that idol by eating that food. I'll say that again. They worshipped the idol by eating the food. Do you think they have a different perspective on food offered to idols than, say, a Christian that never did that? Of course they do. I've never been to jail. Never been there. I probably have a different perspective on what happens in jail than someone that's actually been there. So before I pass judgment and tell everybody how, how much I know and this is what they should do, maybe I should step back and ask what they think they should do. Because they're coming at it from a different perspective than I am. Let's keep going. 
Verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. In other words, literally, guys, whether you eat food offered to an idol doesn't matter. I mean, if it's basically the better price than what they pay at the Sizzler, go right ahead. But, and there's a big but here in the Bible. Before you do that, you better be aware of something. Let's see what he says. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Did Paul say it was a sin for them to eat, idol, eat food offered to idols? No. He actually used a word we love in America. What would he say? This right of yours. In other words, you can go do it. But what would he say? You better be careful not to become a stumbling block for somebody else. This verse is actually why I did not attend the last leaders convention last year. And I've never shared that with anybody other than about three people until right now. Why? Because I made a couple decisions about my family's health care before that convention. And I lived that life both in this room and outside of this world. And I was not going to be so hypocritical to go, oh, I'll pretend I'm this in front of this group of brethren. No, absolutely not. I'm not a hypocrite. But I also won't take that right and go be a stumbling block for those kids that are looking to the leadership saying, this is what you need to do. So I just kindly backed into the shadows. My kids still participate in the events. And we are planning to participate this year. The point I'm making is, oftentimes, you can find a peaceful solution and never even open your voice. And I don't know why we have lost that as a society. It's my right to take care of my family how I choose. It's your right to take care of yours. Frankly, you have no right to tell me how to take care of mine. I have no right to tell you how to take care of yours. Each of us have our own rights. But don't be stumbling blocks with your opinions. Be careful with those things. Verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in a title's temple... He will not be encouraged. In other words, you're sitting in there enjoying your time, laughing, having a good time. This idol, former idol worshiper walks by and goes, wait, I know him. What's he doing there? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, the sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. In other words, you can have a right within the Bible and are completely right in doing what you want to do. But if you know it offends someone and you choose to do it anyway in front of them, you have sinned. Now, I will also say this. We're going to cover the opposite of that argument because I think you have to cover both sides of it. And actually, it's covered too. I'm not going to ask the elders to weigh in on what I'm about to say. My dad's an elder. There are people that take advantage of this. And the Bible talks about those people. 
In other words, they get offended about everything. And they use an eldership or whoever else that will listen to attack people within these four walls. And that's a sin too. Don't believe me? Well, let's keep looking. Let's keep going. Let's finish how important this is to Paul real quick, though. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In other words, my brother is more important to me than my own rights. Remember ground rules. You are more important to me than my own opinion. That is a biblical context. And we cannot lose that no matter what happens in our society around us as the world burns down. That's not how we're supposed to act. Now, second, go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5 verse 12. Now I mentioned to you that our elders I know have been brought tried. Someone has tried to bring them into a fight that wasn't theirs to fight. How do I know that? Because I've experienced that on a first-hand basis. I've been accused of saying things I didn't say. I've been walked into meetings before for things I didn't do. Never here. Never here. I want to be very clear. But I've experienced that. I've seen what this does to a soul, and let me tell you, when the people that are supposed to love and support you in these four walls tear you to pieces, you don't want to come back. I'm going to say that again. When the people inside this building tear you to pieces, you don't want to come back. Is that a big deal? Yes, it is. Let's look and see what he says. Verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's a big word. What does emasculate mean? Castrate. We don't like saying words like that in church, especially with the gener most of the generation, boomers and above. We do not like that word. But let's be candid. What he is saying is, I wish they would remove their own power. I wish they would turn themselves into eunuchs. That's pretty important. When, Bible has, when the Bible has words like that in it, you better pay attention to what he's talking about. And I think oftentimes this sin is just swiped under the rug. But we're not going to treat each other like this in class. We're not going to do this. Let's keep looking. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, there's that word again, love serve one another. I have found in my studies that there are not near as many rules as we like to make. There is considerably more gray in the Bible, but gray makes us very uncomfortable just don't like it. So we want to make rigid rules. I call that being Pharisee-like. I don't have a rule from God, so I'm going to make my own. And then if you don't measure up to it, I'm going to talk about you. He says, you have freedom, but don't let that freedom turn into an ability to sin. Let's go to the third part. 1 Peter 2, verse 15. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 15. This is really big. 
If you're getting attacked by anybody, especially within the four walls, listen to what it says. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants to God. Put to silence foolish people. If there is one thing I wish I could give America right now, it's this. By the way, we all have the ability to do it by our works. Did you catch that? Let your works put to silence the foolishness. See, words are cheap. Actions are the measure of people. We live in a world where words are so free and we have so much information, no one knows what truth is anymore. You only have one option, really. Just get to work doing good. These things we're going to discuss in this class, they're going to be modern moral issues. They are tearing the world out there apart. They will not tear this world apart. Because we're going to follow the ground rules put in place by the Bible. See, I put all those words I at the beginning. I didn't create any of those words. They were already there. Let love build up. Understand you have rights, but understand those rights are checked by other people's consciences. Understand you have freedom, but don't let that freedom become evil. So as we keep going, we're going to talk about 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. I said oftentimes... We like to make rules where rules don't actually exist. The reason that matters is, is I have seen where people had their feelings destroyed over a rule that was not technically biblical. And I, for the life of me, cannot fathom why we would do that. Because it is not logical. And I don't think it's biblical. But let's look at this. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. For we hear that among you walk in idleness, not busy at work. Now remember that previous verse. How do you put silence to foolishness? You get to work. Notice what he says here. You're idle. These people are idle. They're not working. But busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage. This is a direct command. We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. In other words, they need to get to work and keep their mouth shut. Can you imagine what would happen in America if we kept our mouth shut and got back to work? It would be incredible. Hmm. Last one. 2 Peter 4. 2 Peter 4, verse 15. If this one doesn't scare you, I'm certainly not capable of scaring you, but worse than that, God's Word isn't, isn't capable of scaring you. And that's much more important than whether or not I can scare you. This is a sobering text. One that I think, for some reason, just again, we just don't bring up enough. 2 Peter 4, verse 15. 
I still hear pages turning, so I'm going to wait. Because this is an important one. I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 4. Did I say 2nd? I know what I did. I'm looking at my thing wrong. My apologies, everybody. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. It's already being read. And I think it's being done by my wife, and she's grinning at me. She's getting real mad. Did you get turned off? It's very important. I'm glad it's probably twice now. Okay. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Check. Never murder anybody. I'm good. I'm good. Not me. Verse doesn't apply to me. Or a thief. Okay, okay, still good. I don't steal things at Walmart. I don't randomly just pluck things off the shelves. I try not to steal my company's time. I try not to take the toilet paper at work because there's none at the house. I don't do those things. I'm still okay. Still okay. Or an evildoer. Yeah, I think for the most part, I'm pretty good there. I don't go out and get drunk on the weekends and... I don't commit adultery on my wife. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm doing okay. But this last one, holy moly. Or as a meddler. Let's just make sure we understand. We've got murder, thief, evildoer, meddler. Same sentence. The scariest thing about what social media has done to our country right now is it has turned meddling into a profession. And I mean they're literally paid to do it. Meddling. If you are more concerned about what your brothers and sisters are doing than you are what you're doing in your Christian life, you are a meddler. I love you. But that's just the way it works. That's a very scary verse. Because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to get pulled into those conversations. One of the wisest people I know uses the phrase, we don't talk about church folk. I love that. Because no matter what you're trying to do, if you're actively talking negative about church prayers to people and someone says, we don't talk about church folk, you can't keep talking. It is seasoned with salt. It is sweet as sugar. But it absolutely shuts your mouth up. Why? Because it's true. It's biblical. And if you're just talking negative about church folk, you are meddling. That's a skill set we all need. We all need it because we all get in the habit of talking negative about a lot of different people all the time. Then verse 16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I think it's interesting that right after that verse, you suffer because someone's murdered someone in your family. If someone has stolen from you, if someone's done evil to you, or if someone has meddled in your life, why are we supposed to look at that? Because you're a Christian? Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. By the way, we're not, we're not done with the ground rules. 
but I hope you learned something tonight. And what I hope you learned tonight in the last couple of minutes that we have together is that we're going to talk about topics that are ad admittedly possibly going to be uncomfortable because we may not be 100% unified on this room, in this room, on certain topics that we're going to talk about. But if we approach these topics with the idea that love is going to build up, we're not going to be meddling, we're not going to talk where the Bible doesn't talk, and we're going to be quiet where the Bible's quiet. If we do those things, but more importantly, we love each other and season our speech with salt. We can get through these topics, and we can build each other up, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But I'm going to tell you right now, I am going to challenge you. We're going to role play. You're going to have conversations with the person in your pew, and we're going to pretend one of them is a sinner, and you're the person trying to win them over. And you're actually going to have the conversation. I'm equipping you for battle. And no one ain't ever done that in one of your Bible classes. I know. But we're going to practice. Because we need to learn how to talk. Because we've forgotten that skill set. Thank you all so much for your attention tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll finish the ground rules, Lord willing, next week. And start our first topic. Thank you so much. Have a good week.